Good morning. Welcome to worship from the uh, 19th chapter of Luke. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. And those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, his owners asked, "What? Why are you untying the colt? And they replied, The Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus and threw cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near to the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. And they were saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. Peace in, on earth, in heaven and glory in the highest. And yet some of the Pharisees were also in the crowd, and they said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus replied, I tell you, if they were quiet, the stones would cry out. This is our processional gospel. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Zana in the highest. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. We praise you, O God, for your redemption of the world through our Lord Jesus Christ. Today we enter the holy city in triumph as was proclaimed Messiah and King by those who spread garments and branches along his way. Bless these branches and those who carry them. Grant us grace to follow him in the way of the cross so that dying and rising with him we may enter into your kingdom through Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Let us go forth in peace. Blessed be the Holy Trinity, one God, who calls us beloved children and who gathers us into one flock and guides us into all truth. Amen. Let us come into the light of Christ, confessing our need for God's mercy. We confess that we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Since we're justified by faith, we have peace to God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit given to us. And in the mercy of Almighty God, Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. And for God's sake, God forgives all our sins. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Please join me in the prayer of the day. Everlasting God, in your endless love for the human race, you sent our Lord Jesus Christ to take on our nature and to suffer death on the cross. In your mercy, enable us to share in his obedience to your will and in the glorious victory of his resurrection, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
Our Holy Gospel today is from the 23rd chapter of Luke, beginning at verse 1. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payments of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ, a king. And so Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. And then Pilate announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had wanted to see him. From what he had heard about Jesus, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him, dressed him in an elegant robe, and sent him back to Herod. Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. With one voice they cried out, Away with this man! Release Barabbas! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and also for murder. And wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! And for the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I found him in, I found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insisted, demanding that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. And so Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. And as they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the countryside, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large crowd of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. And Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us! and to the hills cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be, perse- to be executed. And when they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up claws by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him, and they said, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't 
Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And for the sun, and for the sun that time the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what, he had, what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. And when all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, they stood at a distance watching these things. The Gospel of our Lord. I invite you to pray with me the Holy Spirit prayer in our time of meditation together today. Let us pray. Come Holy Spirit and fill the hearts your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and we shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit, who instructs the hearts of the faithful, grant that by that same Holy Spirit, we may be made truly wise and ever rejoice in your consolations. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. There is just so much, there is so much to get our heads and our hearts around as we enter into this holiest of holy weeks in Christendom. I don't know about you, but I find, I find the ways of God to be mind-boggling. And from a rational, logical perspective, the ways of God seem oh so foolish. I believe the Apostle Paul spoke of that. It was in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, where Paul wrote, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. One of the things that I find so mind-boggling is that up until this week, there is nothing, there is absolutely nothing positive or remotely loving about the cross. The cross up until this week in the life of Jesus, it was simply an instrument of death, of fear, of intimidation, and it was one of the sole forms of capital punishment during the time of Jesus. When we think about it, there was nothing godly or hopeful about the cross until this week. All the cross stood for and represented was death, fear, power, and intimidation. Some historians say that there were some roads and there were some, there were some roads in and around Jerusalem that were lined with crosses, with bodies hanging on them. That was done for the sole purpose of reminding people of who was in control, who had the power. And if you messed with the powers that be, this is where you might end up. Up until this week in the life of Jesus, there was nothing, absolutely nothing, holy or divinely good about crucifixion. I want you to think about that for a moment. This cross that we wear represents death, at least in the time of Jesus it did. Can you imagine if what happened 2,000 years ago happened today? What would people of faith be wearing today around their necks? Electric chairs? Imagine that for a moment. Our form of capital punishment today is an electric chair or a lethal injection needle. Can you imagine us as Christians wearing an electric chair around our neck? 
In, that, in, in a certain sense, that's what we are doing. We are wearing an instrument of death. But it's also an instrument, after, the, after this week, it's an instrument of love and hopefulness. Once again, I'm drawn to the words of Deb Thomas, who wrote about Christ on the cross. I love the way she writes and the way she describes things. The imagery that she brings into your mind when you hear the words that she speaks. She says, I am drawn to a God who suffers before he conquers. A bruised God who accompanies as well as saves. It is in dying that we will live. It is in the shape of a lonely, jagged cross that will find the salvation of intimacy with God. She further writes that she says, on the cross, on the cross, not some brass, shiny, but a dirty, rugged, blood-stained cross filled with nail holes. She says, on the cross, Jesus insists that God is in the hard things, Jesus is in the low things, and Jesus is in the scandalous things. She goes on, she says that in the cross, God is in the gritty, messy, broken things. And this is a part that I think is just quite an amazing statement. She says, God does not hold God's self remote from the worst of the world. We all know what a remote is, don't we? We sit in front of our TVs and when we don't like something, we just keep changing the channel till we find something we like. Basically what she says is that in the cross, God doesn't change the channel and turn or run from suffering or hard things or gritty, messy, broken things. The one thing that draws us into this sanctuary every weekend, time and time again, the thing that draws us in, whether you know it or not, or whether you think it or not, whether you consciously are even aware of it, the things that draws you into this sanctuary is the love of Christ demonstrated for us through his willingness to take upon himself the burden and the pain and the suffering of the cross. That's what draws us into this sanctuary every weekend. As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, he said, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is what draws us into this place every week, is that we want to hear about God's love for our life, his, his love that was demonstrated to us on the cross. Every one of us bear upon our brow the sign of the cross. It has been etched into us in our baptismal covenant that Jesus made with us. Many of us, on a daily basis, wear a cross around our neck. Some of us wear a bracelet on our wrist. Some people even wear crosses in their earrings or perhaps maybe even have a cross tattooed on their body someplace. It is at the same time this cross that we bear and that we hold is both a symbol of death and a symbol of hope. It's a symbol of death and a symbol of solidarity. It's a symbol of death. It is a symbol of sacrifice. It is a symbol of death, but at the same time it is simultaneously a symbol of resurrection and hope. Up until this very week in the life of Jesus, the cross stood for absolutely nothing but death. But because of what God did for us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and what God did for us when God said no to death, no to the grave, and raised Jesus up, that cross became a symbol of hope and resurrection. 
I think this is the most appropriate week of our lives to contemplate and to reflect upon the meaning and the significance of the cross in our lives. And I would hope that you would take seriously and consider actually taking the time this week, as I said, to read that passion narrative. And I want to encourage you to read it every day. It's lengthy, especially if you read from the 22nd chapter of Luke. That would be Luke 22:14 through Luke 23:56, Or as we say in confirmation class, Big 22, small 14, through big 23, small 56. That's how we communicate with confirmation students these days when they're finding scripture in the Bible. We always ask them to look for the big number and then the little number. And as you read these passages, I want you to be asking yourself some questions. And these are not easy questions. I hope maybe some of you are taking notes or maybe you've got your recorders going on your phone. But no, not really. Just kidding. I I want you to try and remember these questions as you're reading would we actually do better than these disciples? Would, be, would we be more faithful than Jesus' disciples? One of the things that Jesus' disciples were doing as they were reclining around Jesus when he had the Last Supper was that they were arguing amongst themselves, who is the greatest amongst us? Have you ever entertained or thought that surely I am better or I am less sinful than someone else? And as you read about Jesus with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, you ask yourself, would I have stayed awake with Jesus that night as he prayed? Or would I have also found myself fleeing from the garden when Jesus was arrested? Or think about when Peter was standing around the fire and people came up and said, you know him. How many times in your life have you had opportunity to give witness to your faith and yet you've kept silent? These are all questions that come as we think about and read this passion narrative this week. I like and I love what Stephanie Perdue, she's a, she's a pastor and she's also a professor at Garrett Theological Seminary in Evanston, Illinois. It happens to be the seminary where my daughter, Grace, is attending school. And I like what she says. She says, the lectionary brings us these stories year after year, Because even though we have heard them once, twice, three times, more than that, even though we've heard this passion story over and over and over again, we still don't want to believe that we are just like the disciples. One of the things that we want to deny is that we would also be one of the persons in the crowd saying, crucify him. Even though we've heard this passion story over and over and over again, we still don't want to believe that we are just like the disciples. The other verse that I want to encourage you to ponder this week as you live and relive this passion story of Jesus is in Luke 22, verses 28 and 29. Jesus is speaking to his disciples as they are in the room prior to his arrest. And he says, you are those who have stood by me in my trials. And this is the kicker. This is the real interesting statement. He says, I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me. That is a very powerful statement that Jesus is saying. I confer on you a kingdom just as my father confers one on me. In many respects, This week of the passion and resurrection is actually the very beginning of the Christian faith. After this week is when Christian faith actually kicks in. Because if there was no resurrection, 
there would absolutely be no Christian faith. The only reason why there is a Christian faith is because there was a resurrection. That's when Christian faith was born. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is worth nothing, and our faith is worth nothing. For the last 35 years, I have been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ And the only reason why I'm preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ is because there was a resurrection. The mind-boggling work of Christ is this. Despite the disciples' bumbling failures, their betrayals, their denials, and their abandonment, Christ still died for them. Christ overcame death for them, and Christ overcame the grave for them. In spite of all of the failures, denials, and betrayal that Jesus knew that they would do, because Jesus knew his disciples, he knew them through and through, and yet he still forgave them. These were the people that Jesus chose to confer the kingdom. Can you imagine that? Just get your mind around that for a minute, that these bumbling, failed disciples They are the ones that Jesus chose to confer the kingdom upon. And again, I love what Stephanie Perdue writes. She says, Forgiven sinners, listen to this, Forgiven sinners seeded the faith of the church that formed from the tree on Golgotha. Forgiven sinners seeded the faith of the church that formed from the tree on Golgotha. For the past 2,000 years, Forgiven sinners have seeded the faith in spite of ourselves, in spite of all of our failures, in spite of all of our bumblings, and all of the ways in which we have disappointed Jesus. Augustine, who lived over 1,400 years ago, actually much longer than that, probably closer to 1,500 years ago, he knew how to express the work of the fallen faithful. And this is what he said about the fallen faithful. He says, it's not the work of the worker but the work that is worked by God's grace. It is not the work of the worker, but the work worked by God's grace. The only reason why we are able to do what we do is because every single day of our lives is absolute, pure, sheer grace. Because every single day, Jesus says, I love you, I love you, I love you, and I forgive you, and I forgive you, despite all of the ways in which you are going to go out there today, and you're going to screw up, and you're going to fail, but I'm going to keep on loving you. And that's the only reason why this work keeps on being done. This cross that we wear around our neck, this cross that we bear on our necks, and on our wrists, and in our earrings, and in tattooed on our skin, and that cross that is baptismally imprinted upon our forehead. It is a cross that reminds us simultaneously that we die every day with Christ only to be raised up and resurrected and forgiven to bring in the kingdom. That's what we do every single day of our lives. We die to Christ and yet we are raised up again with Christ because of his love and his forgiveness in his life, and because of his resurrection. For the, ta- for the past 2,000 years, as Stephanie Perdue says, forgiven sinners have seeded the faith in spite of ourselves. And I want to leave you with these words to ponder and consider this week. And again, they are words by Stephanie Perdue. None of our unfaithfulness will ever negate God's grace. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? 
none, none of our unfaithfulness will ever negate God's grace. Jesus confers his kingdom on us not because of our perfection, but despite our imperfection. She says, forgiven sinners comprise his church. That's you and me, folks. That's what we are. We are forgiven sinners. We are what make up Jesus' church. And there are no other disciples out there to choose from, folks. There are no perfect people out there in this world. It's just you and me, us imperfect sinners. That's what God's got to work with. And as we hear these stories and admit that we are just like the disciples, are you willing to admit that? Are you willing, just like I, am I willing, are you willing to admit that we are just like the disciples? As we hear in these stories and admit that we are just like these disciples, we know this as good news. And there is a reason that these stories and these liturgies of confession and this renewal intertwine as we walk this path of Holy Week this week. Because as we hear them, we know that we need to be forgiven. That's one of the things that we will be hearing this week. We are hearing again and again that we will need to be forgiven. And as we lament and as we confess this week, we can be assured, we can be absolutely assured that because of what Jesus Christ did for us, that we are and we always will be forgiven. Amen. Now please join me in the world Lord's Prayer. Our, Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, heaven hallowed be thy name. name. Thy, thy kingdom, kingdom come, come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. heaven. Give, Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our, our trespasses, as we forgive, forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And now may God, who has called us forth from the dust of the earth, and claimed us as children of the light, strengthen you on your journey into life renewed. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.